Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eSchool News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in K-12 ed tech this week. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. In this episode, we explore some of the technologies that were thrust into action during the pandemic as essential stopgaps, but are actually turning out to be pretty productive innovations for teaching and learning going forward. First, let's take a look at robotics and telepresence. Now, this was something in place in what I like to call BP or before the pandemic, but it was really a novelty more than anything else. Kids are sick, maybe for a couple of days or sometimes, unfortunately, for, for maybe weeks on end with more serious issues so that they can't be in the classroom. And you had these robots that would follow along the route during their day, giving that student a virtual experience of, of the school day. Now, according to the CDC, during years like 2013 to 2015, about 4% of boys and about the same amount of girls missed more than 10 school days in 12 months because of illness or injury. Now, enter the pandemic and you have upwards of 10% of student populations still not meeting in-person requirements, even to this point. In his piece, Three Ways Telepresence Robots Are Impacting Learning, Tra Vu, uh, he's a PhD and the chief operating officer at OmniLabs, makes an argument for these technologies to become more ubiquitous. You can find the piece up on eSchool News in the newsfeed this week. His reasons include, number one, creating community and inclusivity. He writes, historically, sick children had very few options when it came to be physically present in the classroom. After COVID, for many of these children, it became impossible. However, telepresence robots allow a student to drive their own robot in the classroom so they can virtually attend class from home while feeling like they have a physical presence within the classroom and school community. The robots can move for them, turn to look at people coming in, and even switch classrooms at the bell with their classmates. Robots make remote learning an integrated learning experience for the children, helping them to keep up academically and socially. Another reason, he says, bringing the outside world in. Robots inside the classroom allow for experts in their fields and the world around to actively interact with students in the classroom. Doing these types of talks through a telepresence robot makes the personal conversation that passive interactions lack while making it feel more like talking to a live person than watching a video. And then finally, he says it's going beyond the classroom. Classroom field trips became a difficult proposal during the pandemic, with children unable to even meet in person, let alone at museums. These education robots can make that trip for the students, broadcasting the experience to the classroom safely and much more personally than a simple video. Tra goes on to interview educators that are using these technologies right now to positive effect in the classroom. Be sure to check out the article up online at the news feed at eschoolnews.com. Next, contributing editor Dennis Pierce looks at another new reality of the new normal, online testing. And while there are many new positives, there are just as many potential pitfalls. Dennis cautions if educators aren't paying attention to digital equity while implementing online testing, the integrity of online exam results could be called into question. The article's entitled, How to Ensure Digital Equity in Online Testing. He writes, as more high stakes exams transition to an all digital format, 
Experts warn that students who are not as digitally literate as their peers could be placed at a disadvantage. As the trend toward wholly online testing continues, education leaders must consider how to ensure digital equity for the students before taking these exams. He cites a, a study published in 2019 by Ben Bax and James Cohen from the nonprofit, nonpartisan American Institutes for Research. They found that students who took the Massachusetts state exam online performed worse on average than students of similar abilities who took the same test on paper. The difference was less dramatic for second time test takers, suggesting that familiarity with the digital format played a key role in this discrepancy. Here's another excerpt. The College of Health Sciences at Alabama State University found that graduates who had performed well in the program were scoring lower than anticipated on board certification exams, which are given online. After reviewing the problem, officials determined that the student's lack of familiarity with computer-based testing was largely to blame. Many students admitted to the university, the kids who live in rural areas of the state, hadn't experienced the same access to computers or reliable internet service as students from metropolitan areas. So exposure to online assessment ultimately reduces students' anxiety and ensures they're comfortable with these sort of board exam formats. I guess the answer is here that maybe after this forced beta test that everyone used, that everyone can now be more comfortable using the desktops or, or online remote platforms to take tests. And finally, I had the pleasure of a conversation recently with John Watson. He's the founder of Evergreen Education Group. Also, Rachel Goodwin. She's the Senior Director of Academics for Blended Schools at Stride. We talked about the big picture ramifications of remote teaching and learning. You know, these models were first introduced to extend personalized and flexible learning options to certain selected individual groups or, or groups of students. Two years later, We've seen districts overcome those challenges of everyone having to use them during the pandemic and apply these lessons that we learned to reimagine teaching and learning and develop new innovative visions for change in school communities overall. Here's a snippet that I think kind of brings the conversation into perspective. Yeah, and it seems to me that one of the, um, you know, of a million disruptions and maybe some silver lines coming out of it, to, to your point, Rachel, is the idea of professional development. I mean, I've written about implementing technologies in the schools for, for a long time. Up until the past couple of years, we would still have articles that were trying to make the argument for the use of the technology, where you had a lot of faculty and some administration that were still resistant for the use of them. Now they had to use it whether they liked it or not, but it seems for the most part that we've kind of conquered at least a base level of the acceptance of technology and the communication from a remote or at least a hybrid setting, right? Talk a little bit about what you see in terms of the general acceptance of these technologies versus maybe five years ago, Rachel. Sure. I think first off, they're seeing the power of, of being able to connect with their students. And I would also say, I think they all struggled at some point in their when they're in the brick and mortar, just differentiation, right? Like how do we how do we address and how do we work with all these different academic levels in our classroom? And so when we were able to show the tools and the platforms that they could have access to to be able to address that challenge, I think that's when they start embracing 
the power of the technology, right? And the, the immediacy of the feedback and data that they have access to so that they can make those data-driven decisions, those instructional decisions that really are gonna have a powerful impact on their students. And so I think when they start seeing that and how that all can work to their benefit, as well as to the benefit of the student, again, I think that's where you start seeing them being uh, more accepting of the technology and wanting to learn how they can actually incorporate that in their, you know, in their delivery of instruction. Yeah. John, does that resonate? No, no doubt. And and I want to go back to something else that Rachel said in her earlier answer. She she started with the ideas around communication and, and engagement with students. And I and I think first of all, that's that's so powerful in our current context and in any context. I also feel like we saw that I, we saw a very quick, relatively quick evolution in the early days of, of the pandemic, because I feel like in those very early days, some of the questions that were floating around were things like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about state assessments? And that seemed to morph into, how are we teaching this particular algebra standard? And pretty quickly, and to the credit of the mainstream educators who had to figure this out, I think they realized they needed to communicate with students, they needed to engage with students as well. And it's something that the experienced online educators had known for years, but I also think it's a valuable reminder that the starting point is that communication. The starting point is that engagement. The, the way a good teacher in a physical school may stand at the door of her classroom as students are coming in. You know, you, you don't start by saying, by, by jumping necessarily into that very detailed standard. You start by, hey, how, how are you doing? How was your weekend? How, how, was, how was the game? How was the dance? How was the how, how was the performance? And then you get into the academic standards. And, and it was something that uh, I, I think we, we had to address very early on in the pandemic. And I, and I think that did happen and successfully. And I think it was, I think a lot of the mainstream uh, schools should be commended for the fact that, that they saw that and were able to do that. Triggered something in me when John said that. And that's something, you know, I used to tell when I was talking to teachers, I'm like, you need to minimize that relationship divide just because you're not right in front of them, right? That doesn't mean that all of a sudden there should be a gap of you connecting and creating that culture and the connectiveness um, with, you know, with all stakeholders, with the parents and, you know, with the students, because that connectiveness, you know, really promotes that positiveness as well as the perseverance. So when challenges to come up and you have that connection with those, with your teacher, with your guidance counselor, with whoever, I feel like then the students, when they were in that remote environment, if they had a very positive connection, were able to go through those challenges and many times build new skills that only benefited them in the work, you know, as they grow older and go into the workforce or go into college and so forth. There were so many insights in that webinar. I really encourage you to check out the whole thing. It's up in the webinar section under the title, Blended and Hybrid Learning, the Future of Education. So that about wraps it up for this episode. Be sure to check back on eschoolnews.com for all the latest and greatest news and analysis for what's happening in the EdTech space. Remember, eSchool is always free and always trying to help innovative educators just like you. Until next time, I'm Kevin Hogan for eSchool News.